1: On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or
0: restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey,
1: welcome back to the Whole Heart Eating Podcast. This is Chris here today and i am talking with amy from yummy toddler food she just recently wrote a new cookbook called dinnertime sos and it's specifically designed for families with young children and those quick easy meals that we all need that are kid friendly and easy going and this recipe book is full of them what I love even more about this cookbook is that it's not just a bunch of family friendly meals it's also intertwined into it is around safeguarding your family from diet culture what you can do to make eating more fun more enjoyable she really embraces shortcuts and meal prepping and in cook in cooking despite there being kind of a stigma around that. And she also really provides, you know, new parents like advice for anticipating the young toddler phase and feeding them and about how being flexible and not forcing your children to eat certain foods. I really love this cookbook. I really love this conversation with Amy because she really embraces creating a happy, sustainable, family-friendly food environment in our homes. And we could all use a lot more of that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Amy, we have Amy from Yummy Toddler Food. If you have young kids and you're on Instagram, you probably know Yummy Toddler Food or have, (laughs) have had something shared with you from Yummy Toddler Food, even if you didn't know exactly what it was. But... Um, I'm so excited to have you here, and I'm really excited to talk about your recent new cookbook, Dinner Time SOS, um, and I wanted for you to share a little bit, one, about yourself, and two, what inspired you to write this cookbook.
2: Sure. So I guess I can start a little bit about myself, and then we can go into <laughs> the book. Um So I run Yummy Toddler Food. It's been my full-time job for four and a half years now. Before that, I worked as a magazine writer and editor. So my background, I always get the question of like, did you go to culinary school? Like, what's your, Um, so my background is in like food, magazine, journalism, and then also recipe development. So I spent a year working with the Better Homes and Gardens Test Kitchen. So I'm, I was like very familiar with how to write recipes, how to make sure that somebody could understand a recipe and actually make it work in their kitchen. And then also like how to talk to an audience. So um, there was a point that the magazine industry was contracting. I mean, it still is contracting and I needed to figure out what I was going to do with my career. Um, And it sort of coincided with having uh, my first daughter. And then when she turned one, like I sort of understood how to feed a baby. Um, <laughs> she was a very voracious eater and it was very fun to feed her, but then she turned one and it was like, she could, she could handle some different textures, but she, you know, there were like particular nutritional, um, like a, like there were things I wanted her to be eating and exposed to, but I also wanted to keep added sugars to a minimum and. Um, All of the kid recipes I was finding at that point were like too hard for her to chew. So it felt like there was this like in between phase where there just was like a gap at that time. And this was long enough ago that there was just like not as many resources, but I still wanted to cook like one meal for most meals and not have to be like making her separate food at that point. So that was sort of the origin of the brand and it started as a hobby and then I kind of turned, learned, it took a long time for me to learn how to turn it into my actual job. And then like the dinner time angle just came that, you know, like the term, the witching hour where <laughs> like four to 7 PM is just difficult for life with little kids. And when you put dinner on in there, it's like,
1: <laughs> It's, it's already hard, already um, difficult. And then everyone's preferences. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then, and then it's also like the meal that we get the most pressure about, like there are all of these headlines about the importance of family dinner and the importance of eating together and the, like the importance of eating the same foods at the same times. And like, it's just can feel so overwhelming. So I wanted to have a book that people would know it was a vetted collection of recipes that with like minimal prep work like not chopping a thousand things. You don't, you're not going to need 15 different spices. So you could turn to it and know that this was created with that, like perspective in mind. Like I know you probably have a kid who needs your attention, but you also need to make dinner.
1: Oh my gosh. Is, if that's not like true mom- fives and parent fives. I don't know what is. I think also, too, I really am glad that you brought up the idea of like the pressure, because that's one of the first things that I said to Dana when I was reading this cookbook. And I was thinking, wow. And one of my favorite things that I always say to people is like, let's look at this like a permission slip. And one, one of the things that I really loved about your book, it was like a permission to... Yes, get meals and dinner on the table and allow for as much variety as possible that your children and you would want to eat, but also to make it a lot more simple and put a lot less pressure on ourselves. And I think mm-hmm. one of the things that you talk about a lot in the book is around focusing instead of instead of focusing on the food itself. More on the other things that you can focus on too. And I like that in like within the book, throughout the recipes, you also have these little sections where you're talking about, here's what happens if this happens. Why do you think that there's so much pressure around dinner time specifically? And what do you want to cultivate within your own family and that you want other people to have during their dinner time to make it a little less pressured?
2: I think with dinner specifically, it's like the one meal of the day where there tends to be more vegetables. There tends to be more of the foods that we're like, quote unquote, supposed to be eating. And it's the meal that we more typically eat more of the same foods. And it can be I just and I think that combined with like the media headlines that we often see about how like eating to get dinner together can like may help you wind up with a teenager who doesn't do drugs like like a lot of the like the research on family dinners is often taken out of context and then you just hear hear like the one soundbite and it's not dinner that where you get the benefit it's the being together. And having the communal experience is where the benefit comes. It doesn't actually matter what the food necessarily is. And I think we just, we lose it because the thing we can control is the food. We can't control what everyone likes. We can't control what moods everyone are going to be in. And so we try very hard. And I think like reasonably, because this is what we're sort of being shown to do. We're trying to con- to get the kids to eat certain foods. And it's like, it's it's like impossible before you even get to the table. So I try really hard to remember that, like, yes, it's about the food and it's about the kids seeing a variety of things and about them seeing us enjoying a variety of foods. But more than that, like they need to feel safe They need to feel comfortable. They need to be relaxed enough to even have the ability to try something in front of them. Like if you have a child coming to the table and they're already worked up about something, there is no way that they're going to try something that is not like the most safe feeling food. So the sort of like the underlying dynamic of the meal needs to be something that we think about before we kind of get to the food, or at least it needs to be a consideration, I think, in order to just like have meals be enjoyable. And I think that that gets lost because it's not like it's not as great of a soundbite. It's not as quick of a thing. um, And it's but like long term, that is really my goal. Like I want my kids to feel comfortable and confident with a range of foods. And the way they learn how to do that is by practicing that at home.
1: 100%. I also think, too, something that you mentioned in there that was kind of like weaved in is really wanting your children to feel like home is kind of this place to explore different things and to have it modeled and seen, right? Whereas if they, it doesn't really matter whether or not they're eating the peas or broccoli that's served as much as it matters that they're seeing parents eating a variety of foods they see parents connecting there's no fight I often joke around with a lot of my clients that with kids like there's like three things you can't make them do but we try as parents to micromanage it and it's eat sleep and poop Mm mm-hmm We try so hard to manage those three things. And I think in some ways, too, like there is this added pressure as well, because for some reason we feel like the way that our children eat is somehow some kind of representation for who we are as parents. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And so one of the biggest questions that, I, that you address directly in there is like, well, what if my kid won't eat it? And how do we not make dinner a fight? And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that, too, and that added pressure of, well, what my kid eats says something about me. And mm-hmm. I'd love for you to kind of share maybe your own personal evolution with that and even how that comes into the recipes that you that you build.
2: Yeah, I think it takes a lot of practice and sort of uh, – like a fair amount of self-discipline to consistently remind yourself that whatever your child eat is not a reflection of your success or failure as a parent. Like those two things are not connected because we can't predict another person's hunger with any accuracy. We can't all like in... You can guess at how, how hungry a child will be, but they the only thing they can do is show you because we're not in their bodies. We can guess at their preferences, but that may or may not wind up being the case. So when I'm putting a dinner together, I decide what I want to make because- I, I need like the extra motivation of wanting to eat the thing um, 100%. to like, help me through. Yeah. There's so, so many chicken want... night
1: chicken nuggets dinners that I can eat every, yeah, yeah. every week. Like I need it and presented I want my in different ways. To, like,
2: yeah. <laughs> and I want my kids to know that like what I want to eat matters too, mm-hmm. that they, like we are in this together and we all have nights that are our favorites and some are not. And that's just like, it all balances out. And then I try to add or I try to like make sure that there's one to two foods that each of the kids usually likes. I have three kids. This is not always <laughs> straightforward. <laughs> so for me, this means I all oh, like 99% of the time, I always have a fruit on the table. Um, recently, that's like melon or mango um, because I know that if I have like a serving of milk and some fruit, if, My youngest particularly doesn't like the main dish. He will have food to eat and he is a, he has a smaller appetite to begin with. So usually that's fine. Um, So I try to just like consider their preferences and make sure that there's something on the table that they can eat. And then that way I don't have to get up. Like I'm trying, I'm trying to keep us there at the table together and then everyone can sort of mix and match their own dinner and when when you have a situation where a child comes to the table and, or even like if they ask what's for dinner, if they're able to talk and you tell them and they're like, I don't want that. Like think about the ways that you can give them um, some control. So that might mean like, is there a like a sauce or a dip or a condiment that you want to pick out? like to go with this, like use whatever words that make sense for your child. If you have like a younger toddler, like, do we want to get ketchup? Like would ranch make this yummier? Um, Do you want to pick out your plate? Do you, here's a pair of little scissors that you can use to cut this up yourself here. You can serve yourself and put this on your plate. Here's a pair of mini tongs that you can use to eat this thing. And this is not like letting the kids necessarily play with their food. It's just inviting them to engage with it in ways that is like age and developmentally appropriate so it's less of you being like this is what we have and you being like here like come into this with me and let's figure out your place and i think that that even if they don't wind up eating a ton of it it can change the mood enough that you can then sit together at the table so like with my son um Like very, like last week, there was a meal where I was like, I don't think he's going to like this. So I made sure I had like a pair of salad tongs. They're, they're like not huge. They're not like a special though. They're just the tongs that I have. I had those on the table and I let him pick out the plate that he wanted. And those two things were enough to have him sit at the table and like he picked a food to try.
1: Yeah, that's, you know, what's interesting about that too is that it's so simple. We think that it has to be this overhaul, like a big change or like a way that we're doing it I've even found too that sometimes the way that I present a food makes a big difference like if I asked my youngest is five just this morning if I ask her if she wants yogurt with granola she'll say no but if I present it like a parfait and say oh right. Elodie I made you a parfait she literally sat down and was like this is amazing <laughs> and I'm like it's literally the exact same food right just presented slightly different and i i love that you say that like you know not necessarily letting them play with their food and i think sometimes that even has a negative connotation and i think depending on the age playing with food is a really wonderful exploratory way of trying new foods but i do think like using different types of utensils and things like that like the other day my daughter was using um we went out to dinner with with my in-laws and like a bunch of family. And they had um what was it? Um chopsticks. And her and her cousin, who are both they're both five and six, were just enamored with eating their macaroni and cheese with chopsticks. Yeah. Like just having a blast doing it. And I think also too like that like you said, it gives enough of an opportunity for there to be some fun at the table versus a lot of times and I think probably even maybe the way that we we grew up potentially where it's like no you sit down you eat what's here you eat everything on the plate and then mm-hmm. that's it and then you can go and do whatever but dinner wasn't a time for that deeper connection and time together um right and I think that's a really big missed opportunity. And I love that you're trying to bring families together.
2: Yeah. And I, I often think about how I would feel if somebody was feeding me, like making all of the decisions for what I, what was going to be like placed in front of me all all day long. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would be the worst. Like I have a hard time (laughs) even coming up with what I want to eat by myself. And so I think about like, when I have a meal, I often want to put like something else on it that nobody else at the table wants. Like that might be like, like right now it's like sheep's milk, like cheese that (laughs) um, I love very much on most things. And, or it's like something crunchy. And I just think we, it's important to remember that we all have different preferences and that's okay. And there are really small ways that we can like keep those in mind to make everyone feel sort of seen.
1: Yeah, I love that because I don't think, like, I think a lot of times too is, I mean, I say this to my husband a lot when we're preparing dinner for Elodie and now our youngest is one and she has her own set of preferences. She could <laughs> she could live off of blueberries and if we didn't have them available, it's just she gets mad when the table doesn't have a berry on it. She's like, yeah. it starts here and then we go from there. And I think like, I think one of the things that I really enjoy that you talk about, too, is that it's not just about building the connection at the table, too, but it's also about making it a little bit more simple for families as well is also part of it, too, Mm -hmm. is we think in order for our children to have a variety of foods and like all kinds of foods that we have to do a lot of extra work in order for that to happen. And I actually think it's really refreshing that you have this perspective of actually... That, it's the opposite. Make it a lot yeah. easier. Like the last thing my, my kids need, and I think every family needs, is me coming to the table stressed, overwhelmed, and right. trying to control every bite that they eat. But I think that's why I really enjoy that you talk about using shortcuts through cooking too and making the meals a lot easier in preparation so that you're not spending, you know – three hours chopping, like you said in the book, like three Mm -hmm. onions in (laughs) in the recipe. And I think one thing that you mentioned as well is that it's kind of a stigma to to use shortcuts. And I'd love for you to talk about why do you think that it is? And why are we making things harder on families with young children when it feels wildly unnecessary?
2: Yeah. So yesterday um, I taught a cooking class with my seven-year-old and- one of the ingredients was fully cooked chicken. And the I was doing it like in tandem with someone and she was like, can you tell us how you made your chicken? And I was like, well, I bought it in the freezer aisle at Trader <laughs> Joe's. It is breaded chicken. And then I put it in the air fryer. <laughs> and, and I was like, the thing for me is when I have a meal that I'm gonna cook, if there is a step that I don't wanna do, if there is a step that I always don't wanna do, that could be the difference for me making that whole dinner or not and then i might turn to something like so i don't like dealing with raw meat like if i can if i can not have to deal with raw chicken i will not have to like and so in the past like 2 years i was just like you know what i'm just going to buy it because if some of my family members like the texture of this i don't love making it this is going to be one of those things that I just buy and put in the freezer. My oldest daughter does not regularly eat chicken. She ate a full piece of that chicken last night. And I was like, that's amazing. And she was really proud of herself because mm-hmm. she tried something she hadn't had before. And she had seen it before, but she had never tried it. And I was just like, I don't think I would have. we would have gotten to that where she knew that she likes this kind of chicken if like i had been so stressed out having to get all the ingredients and then make the thing and like so there are opportunities that you can just give yourself a break another good example of this is like if you're regularly buying salad and you're not regularly getting it on the table because there are too <laughs> many steps or you feel like you have to make the dressing but you don't ever have all the ingredients buy a salad kit like And then you can have the salad ready and like your five-year-old could mix it for you. Like there are these opportunities to just take some of the pressure off. And this is again, a place where you have to sort of decide, I'm not going to let the cultural messaging tell me that I'm wrong here because this is still a nutritious food. This is impacting my stress level. And that matters. That matters more. (laughs) It and matters like, so much. Nutritionist and here. It matters more right. than the food and itself. Like, <laughs> I make my whole job is like making recipes, and I think it's really important to acknowledge that sometimes I just buy the thing. Like, like it's you don't have to do it one way or the other. You don't have to always like make French toast at home. You can sometimes buy French toast sticks. Like I think it's good for the kids to see that. There are phases of our lives that mean that we're making different decisions, but sort of like big picture, they're still seeing a range of foods. Um, I feel this way about school lunch also. Like I love the days that my kids get lunch at school because they're getting different foods than they would get at home. My like seven-year-old discovered that she likes caprese salad because they had it at school. Like that's that's just not, yeah. And it's, I just think that we're, we're like demonizing experiences that can go a long ways, and just teaching our kids like what different foods are, um, which like matters a ton.
1: Mm-hmm. No, one hundred percent. I think um, I think also too one of the things that we get so much pressure on as parents is like you said the culturing messages, and I think we think about each each meal matters so much. And we put so much pressure on each meal and each bite. And then the reality is it really doesn't matter. Like It really doesn't matter. Each meal doesn't matter. Each bite doesn't matter. It's more of what they're seeing, what they're doing in an aggregate and kind of more our own relationship to it. I'd love for you to talk about the culture a little bit because you address it directly in your book about diet Mm -hmm. culture and how that impacts things too. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about your own journey with that as a food developer and I'm sure you've gotten pushback before with the ways that you've done it. I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah. So the way I talk about food now is very different from the way I talked about food when I was first starting out because my relationship with food has changed a ton over my lifetime as a parent, which is now like almost 12 years. Um, And I think, like, I have learned a lot more about intuitive eating. I have learned, like, I didn't even know what diet culture was at that point. Um, I had an eating disorder when I was in my teens and 20s. And it was like, I had to work through all of that. And then I got to learn about intuitive eating and responsive feeding and, like, the bigger picture, like, what anti-fat bias means and how the way we're talking about food a lot of times is really geared toward having the smallest body as possible. And my understanding of when that is cropping up has brought me to a place where when we talk about food in my house, we just talk about the food. We talk about what it's called, often what it looks like, what it might taste like, that we do not do anything else. Because nutrition, like I'm like, I'm always getting the question of like teaching nutrition to kids. (laughs) And I don't think that we need, like, I honestly don't think that we need to, if we are modeling a relationship with food that that's not like pitting foods against each other. If we're showing that we can eat a range of foods, if we're showing that we can have cookies and ice cream and also broccoli and peppers and tomatoes like the kids are going to absorb that in a way that is going to help when they encounter messages everywhere else. Um, So it's really important to me that my house is able to have a range of foods and that we're not saying that one is bad or one is good, especially because little kids are like, they can be so literal and they can quickly think that they are bad or good for eating certain foods. Um, And also if a child asks you if something is healthy Like, I challenge you to have that conversation and be truthful and factual and not wind (laughs) up in a rabbit hole of like, you can't do it. Like, it's just, it's really, really. um, And I think this is where like, I just don't think we need to try so hard to sell foods based on their nutrition. I think we need to make sure that the food we're serving tastes really good. Because that's going to be the thing like you are not going to convince a two year old to eat broccoli for the fiber or whatever else like (laughs) you are going to convince a two year old to eat broccoli if it tastes delicious. Yeah. And that is the thing that I always come back to. I'm like, did if someone says like, well, my child wouldn't eat that. I'm like, did you taste it? Would you eat it? Like, that's yeah. why I'm like regularly showing myself in videos eating food, because I'm like, I want to make sure, like, if <laughs> I'm not going to eat it, why would they? Yeah, 100 um, percent. Yeah,
1: that's such a good point. You know, I was just as you were talking about when your kid asks you a question about like, what is is this healthy? One of the things that I do with my daughter and she's five, she has no idea, um, is to say, well, what do you think? Right. What do you think is healthy? And if you ask any adult, how do you define what's healthy? You will get 50,000 different responses and depending on the day yep. that could
2: come from one person. Like everyone. Well, I think the biggest the biggest <laughs> challenge is that, that like every adult has their own bias here and every adult has absorbed information that is not 100% true. And I think in order to not pass along like the baggage of a relationship with food the easiest way to not do that is to just talk about food as like food like like this is ice cream Like (laughs) you don't you know like it's creamy and delicious here are the flavors that we have we don't need to like give a lesson in it um so, I mean, like the thing the thing that I think really changed my thinking about this was there's this like very popular thing about like how carrots help you see in the dark. Um, and I think like I first saw that when my daughter was two and she had glasses, like from a really early age, she has a, t- like, she needs a very strong prescription. She can't see in the light without her glasses. <laughs> like if she wakes up in the dark and has no glasses on, she's not going to be able to see. And I was like, if she sees that, She's going to be like thinking, well now I need to eat a bunch of carrots if I want to have this superpower. And either she feels like she's failing because she's not doing that or she eats a bunch of carrots and nothing changes. Like it's not true. <laughs> it's yeah. it's no. just like not it's just not true. Um like they might yeah, like vitamin A is important, but it's not <laughs> we're like extrapolating in a way that is just yeah, not helpful.
1: Well, I think that's one thing that we really love to do as a culture is to take something that's really innocent enough and then take it and make it into like the new headline. And then we take it and then say, "Okay, now I'm going to apply that very literally to every single thing that I do. And one thing that I that I like to remind myself when I'm feeding my kids and when I'm talking to other parents that I'm working with is what did you eat as a kid? Yeah, right. Yeah. What did you like? Did you like? I don't know some of these dishes. Like, did you eat salad when you were a kid? Because I you know eat kale. Yeah, I, I'm. I sure as shit know that I did not. Like, right. I absolutely right. did not eat kale. I don't even think my parents knew what kale no. was. Like that wasn't even in the grocery store. I didn't know a smoothie
2: store. until I was in college, and yeah. we drank smoothies like as a hangover cure. Like it was. Quite- <laughs> Um like I didn't have sushi till I went to college. Like I didn't I didn't have I mean like I ate the same lunch for the majority of my childhood. Like every day in high school I ate the same exact sandwich and apple. Like there is I just think like the the pressure and expectations have totally shifted. Totally changed. Um, yeah.
1: I yeah, I completely agree with you. I like that you're talking about responsive feeding and all put in the show notes resources for people. We've I've talked about that on the podcast before because I really love that married with the division of responsibilities kind of this little mishmash of the two of them together. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I'd love for you to talk about is I think one of the biggest challenges that a lot of people come to when it comes to making dinner or making, you know, a meal or looking at your looking at a cookbook and saying okay, I'm going to make this dinner. And then they start to think, well, this one kid doesn't like reed fried beans. They want to have pinto beans. This Mm -hmm. kid likes ground beef, but this kid likes chicken on their tacos. How do you then support what if my kid won't eat what I'm making? And how do you work through that? And how does the book kind of guide you through that, the recipe book?
2: I mean, one of the things that I do, and I think I show a lot in the book is how you can serve a lot of meals in separate components and like deconstructing food can get a bad rap because there, there are people who believe it could lead to more picky eating. But I think that that is fear-based in a way that is not necessarily true. For me, the thing that happens is that you just have more flexibility Like you can make tacos and you can put the beans in a bowl and the meat in a bowl and the tortillas and the cheese and keep everything separate. And then everyone can decide what to put on their plate. Like that is the easiest way to accomplish one meal for everybody. You can do that with a range of different things. I think the thing about like if one kid prefers one type of beans over another, for me, it's like, I'm regularly reminding the kids that like your favorite thing is going to be this meal. Like we're not always going to be able, like we're, we're sort of a team here. Like we can't always have the exact same things that you want, but there are modifications that you could do. Like if one kid's like prefers refried beans and one kid likes pinto beans, you can warm up pinto beans, take some out, put them in a bowl, mash them with a little bit of liquid or like the juice from the can and effectively make refried beans, like without too much more work, um, just like mash them up. So I think deconstructing can be helpful. I think also like giving the kids small choices where like, maybe you let them pick what the side dish is. Maybe you let you, you let them pick the color of cheese. There might be opportunities to sort of let, help them like buy into the meal before you get to the table. Um, And then just remember that like nobody's plate needs to look the same. If you make something like Hamburger Helper, which is like, that's a recipe that I just recently shared. And someone was like, this is great, but my kid will not eat foods all mixed together. So the thing about that is like, you can put that on the table. You can have a side of fruit. You could have like some sliced cucumbers. If the child doesn't want any meat, you can just put the pasta in their bowl. Like there are ways... Um, like if you make a stir fry, keep the pieces big enough that you cannot put all of the elements on someone's plate. And like the instinct is to like sneak the vegetables in, but if you actually keep the pieces big enough, you're giving more, you're giving yourself more flexibility because then like you don't have to give the kid broccoli who doesn't like broccoli. You can just give them the noodles and some carrots. Um, so those would be some options. Absolutely.
1: I think, too, like the whole idea of sneaking it in, people feel like we have this pressure to make sure that we're getting all of those things in there and that they have to eat them. They don't have to eat them. Right. You know, they don't have to eat the broccoli at the table and it's going to be okay. You know, and I think that's a big thing that we feel like as parents that we have to do that. And or that we want to force that. But again, that comes back to the what is the goal of the meal here? The goal of the meal isn't to make my kid eat everything that's on their plate or everything that's served. Maybe it is to some people, but I would encourage them to change the goal. You know, Mm -hmm. the goal is to create connection at the table. The The goal is for my child to see the variety of different foods, the way that they can be prepared. And have them explore that within their own comfort zone instead of me forcing them to do it when they don't want to do it or not ready to do it. Um, And I think one of the things that you mentioned in the book and that, you know, I say a lot to my kids is I trust my child's body. You know, I trust my child's body and I know that I'm presenting and offering a variety of different foods. And we're in a stage right now with my young, my oldest, where she is picky right now. Like, I honestly thought to myself the other day, I don't even know what to serve you. Like, <laughs> like, like literally everything that you ever want, like you don't want anymore, until I decided to do it, serve it differently and call it a parfait. And then next thing you know, I'm like, oh, okay you know, you don't want fruit right now. Great. But I bet you'd like a fruit kebab. And you know what she does. (laughs) And so I think sometimes it comes down to can you make it a little bit more fun too? And that pressure kind of alleviates itself too. Um,
2: I think it can also help to remember that sometimes they're just not as hungry as we think that they're going to be. And like, your child might not be eating dinner because they might not be hungry. Like that is a totally valid explanation and not something that you have to fix. They might have a big snack at four o'clock and then they're not hungry at five 30, or they just might front load their calories and eat more earlier in the day. Like there is this, I think our urge to like constantly be getting the kids to eat as much as we think that they need to be is kind of making it harder for us to just see the kid in front of us and be able to notice their patterns.
1: Oh, I love that. I think that's so true. I think one thing that can be a really nice permission, too, is I actually think of after-school snack time as part of dinner. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Dinner is like one big extension, which is why I, one of the recipes that I loved was their charcuterie board that you have. I'm like, yeah, this is the vibe, right? That was essentially like our afternoon (laughs)
2: yesterday.
1: (laughs) It's like, okay, it's like a little platter of all kinds of stuff. Everyone can have what they want. I even do that for breakfast sometimes. I'll make breakfast charcuteries with, you know, pancakes or waffles or whatever and sausages and vegetables, like in, I mean, vegetables and like fruit and maybe there's vegetables, um. But just making it a little bit more fun and thinking about it as an extension from snack, from after-school snack, I think takes a lot of pressure when you think about it in total. I think we get really bogged down on this meal has to look this way. And Mm -hmm. if we looked at it from the whole day, okay, they had this for breakfast. They had this available at lunch at school. This is what they're doing here. Overall, unless there's you know something alarming with growth or eating disorder type stuff we really don't have to hyper focus on it as much as we think that we do yeah yeah and so for for new parents maybe who don't yet have a toddler um, but they're anticipating and kind of planning on this phase of coming up and trying to cook what is some advice that you would give them starting off
2: I would say to try not to immediately label a child who doesn't want a food that you give them as picky, because that's going to impact the way that you interact with them. And it's going to make feeding them seem like a problem. And if you can instead know that appetite often dips in the first year as compared to when they were a baby, simply because the growth slows down generally speaking, a one-year-old can be less hungry than they were as a baby. And they may eat less foods than they did as a baby simply because they're not as hungry. So like their internal motivation is not as high to eat all of the foods coupled with them discovering that they have power. Like, you know, they're going to start saying more words. They're going to have more ability to let you know their feelings. Like, They're going to have opinions about their shoes, about their socks, about like their diaper, like they're going to have opinions about their food. And that doesn't mean that anything's wrong. So if you can sort of know that the feeding dynamic is going to change and expect it, then I think that you can like sort of roll with the way that it changes a little bit better. I mean, I see a lot of language about like, we have to combat picky eating. And I'm like, we do not need to turn this into a battle. Like the last thing you want to do is like go into a meal, like hyped up about like, (laughs) so the more you can just be like, this is where they are today. I'm going to like follow their cues. Um, And I think it's like, I think, especially like with one-year-olds, you know, a lot of one-year-olds are still nursing or they're still sort of on bottles and figuring out the transition to milk or less bottles. And like, how do you get them on all of their meals? Like there is so much going on that just like give yourself the grace to know that this does not have to be picture perfect at any point And you do not need to like figure all of this out immediately. You can do one thing at a time and like adjust it as you need to, um, I think it's just like the permission to follow the lead of your own child and to trust yourself a little bit more.
1: I love that. I was not expecting you to talk about picky eating and labeling that, but I really love that you brought that up because I totally agree. I think it also takes away the opportunity for that connection that you're looking at at the meals. And like you said, if you're going into your meals as if it's you're going into battle and a lot of times parents feel that way they feel Mm -hmm. like they're going into their meals as if it's some battle and if you take that battle out of it a little bit you get more of an opportunity to have that shared connection and that time together and make it playful and see your kid have fun with food and i think When we live in a culture that's so obsessed with food being something that needs to be micromanaged because of our size or whatever, having a place at home where food is fun feels super refreshing to me. And really, I think, sets them up long term with a relationship with food that will far outweigh whether or not they took three bites of their broccoli or not.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, remember, you have a lot of power with the way that you are interacting with food and like the foods that you are eating just because like kids love following the lead of the people that they love. I mean, yesterday I made myself ravioli with um, red sauce for lunch because I had some left and I, last I checked, my children did not like that food. (laughs) And they're like, I had this like delicious bowl for myself. And two of them were like, what, why didn't you make enough for us? And I was like, well, so then they wound up eating like most of it. And then we discovered that they want me to add that, like, we're going to have that for dinner on Sunday. And so I think there are these opportunities to just have like, food have less moral weight, and it can just be like, delicious experiences.
1: I love that. Thank you so much for coming on and, and talking. I think that's such a great place to kind of land on and for the major takeaway if there's anything other than the cookbook which i'll you know i'll link all of the things in our show notes and everything but if there's anything else that you want to share with what you have going on i think you have coming up where you're teaching these fun cooking classes (laughs) anything like that um feel free to share them now and i'll add them to the show notes too
2: the cooking class was like a one-off special event with Julia Tertian, um, which Hi. was really fun. So I'm glad we got to do that. I don't have any others planned, but we'll we'll see if that changes. <laughs> um, all of my recipes and sort of advice can be found at yummytoddlerfood.com. I'm Yummy Toddler Food on all the social channels. And then my newsletter, which is like a community place, safe space to talk about all of this cof- stuff is called YTF Community. So you can find that on Substack.
1: Thank you so much. You're welcome. Hey friends, it's Dana. And thanks so much for listening to
0: the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. Find us on social media at wholeheartedeatingpod on Instagram and at wholeheartedeating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling. If you love the show, we would love you forever if you'd share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedeating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more. If you have questions for us, feedback on the show, potential topics or guests you'd love to have on, shoot us an email at hello at eating.com. and we'll see you next week.